So Thursday night, uh, my son Cooper uh, scheduled with me weeks ago that we were going to go out for Father's Day and my birthday, and he was going to take me out, and it was all a surprise, and so I just needed to show up at the house at about 5.30, and he would take care of the rest. And so I did that, and he came in from his shift uh, at work, and he said, all right, Dad, you ready? And I'm like, yeah, and we're, we're fixing you know, to, to, to get in my truck and head out for the night. And he says, Dad, I just want you to know I plan the night, but I also want you to know I'm paying for the night, Right? And every father in here, we're just waiting for those words, right? Because we are the wallet and have been the wallet for their whole lives. And when they finally say to us, you know what, Dad? You don't have to bring, he actually said that to me. You don't even have to bring your wallet. And I was like, well, that's where I keep my license. I'll, I'll still bring it. Uh, but thank you so much. And he, he, he hauls out of his wallet and he, he flips it open and there's just 20s in there. Just bunch of, you know, I'm like, wow, this is going to be a great night. But my spider senses were tingling. Has anybody ever been like, I smell a rat here. I know you don't have that much money. I know that all the money that you do have, you've been putting away for different things that are heading uh, you know, towards you in your future, cars and stuff like that. And so you don't have money to spend like that, but you're feeling pretty strong here. Uh, so I asked him the question. I said, Coop, where'd you get that money? And he, without missing a beat, proudly announced, Mom gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, so I am paying for tonight. And he hadn't thought of it that way. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess you are. <laughs> all right. You still don't have to bring your wallet, though. I was like, all right, cool, fine. <laughs> Maybe next time. Anyway, uh, it reminded me of us and our Heavenly Father. You and I, uh, we stand in front of our our you know, our houses and our cars, and, and we look at our bank balances, and we check out our IRAs, and we uh, travel to our second, you know, holiday houses or whatever, and, and we stand there and we think, I'm paying for everything. But the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, looks down at us and says, no, no, I'm paying for that. That's what I gave you. Uh, you get to enjoy what I've entrusted you to steward. Uh, God is not against money. Everybody knows that? God is against the misuse of his money. And so that's why we're talking these three weeks about being right with the resources that he's given us. Uh, we've uh, established this last week in the first week of the series. To be right on the money, uh, we need to remember to worship God. He gets our worship, and then we use the money that he's given us for his glory. Worship God and then use money for his glory. Uh, but so often in the world, certainly, and then even in the church, even in my life and in yours, uh, we can momentarily, hopefully only momentarily, kind of get that stuff messed up. We can move the words around and be wrong on the money. Being wrong on the money is being someone who worships money and someone who uses God for our own glory. I'll just be a part of this whole God thing for what he can give me. And I'll make my stuff, my things, my, my money, my God. Uh, that's not what we're about here. If we're following Jesus, that's what we have to, with all of our will and might and, and, and by God's grace, we have to seek to avoid. To not worship the almighty dollar, but to worship the all-powerful God. Now, last week, we started talking about uh, the foundation of being right on the money. It's having the right attitude. It's being grateful. Are you grateful? Are you grateful? Are you grateful? Okay, good. 
then that's the right place to start. When you start thinking about your money, start from I am blessed instead of I am cursed. Start from I have been given much instead of where's the rest. Start with grateful. And then we move to what we're going to talk about today, to being faithful. Today we want to figure out from God's word what it is to be faithful with what he's given us. How he wants us to order our lives when it comes to our things and our money. To do that, I'm going to just jump right in, if everybody's cool, uh, to what we're going to be preaching today. It's in Luke chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, you can flip open to them there or scroll to them there. Uh, We're going to study a parable. Jesus would tell these stories uh, that had all these truths tied to them so that people could help uh, or people could understand what he was trying to say to them in his gospel. And uh, in the prior chapter, in chapter 15, we get some of the most famous parables that Jesus ever tells. Uh, He tells three stories right in a row. He talks about a lost sheep and how the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes looking for the one. He talked about this lost coin. A woman lost a coin. She turned her house upside down and she celebrated, brought all the neighbors over when she finally found this coin. He talks about a lost son. We know him as the prodigal son. And how he uh, offended his father, took all that he was due in his inheritance and went off and squandered it and finally came home. You know these parables? Anybody heard these? Yeah, they all came in succession. Uh, But it's interesting to note the audience that Jesus is talking to because it's the same audience that he gives this next parable that we're going to study this morning that pertains to money. In Luke 15, verse 1, it says, now the tax collectors. Anybody know anything about the tax collectors in that era? They were some crooked dudes. They were employed by Rome to get all the taxes uh, from these Israelites that were now um, beholden to the Roman government. But the tax collectors would pad the numbers. They would basically take for themselves what they wanted. As long as Rome got what they were requiring, they could do whatever they wanted uh, in taxing their friends, their families. So they they were some crooked customers. Amongst those tax collectors were other sinners And they were all drawing near to Jesus. And then on the outskirts of that crowd were the Pharisees. These were very um, astute and learned teachers of the law of Israel. Uh, Many of them were also affluent. They had kind of shaped the rules so that they could become so. Uh, They were joined by the scribes who were in charge of copying the scriptures. And these Pharisees and scribes, they grumbled as, as Jesus was speaking to and sharing the gospel with these tax collectors and sinners. They said, this man receives sinners and eats with them, which they would never have done. Then Jesus goes on and he tells those three parables. But if you pick up in verse one of chapter 16, it's the same crowd. It says, he also said, in addition to what he has just said, those three parables, he also says to his disciples, and disciples here doesn't mean the 12 specifically or, or, or a, a certain number. It means anybody who was following him that particular day, including those tax collectors, those sinners, and even those Pharisees and scribes. He goes from telling those three famous parables about the gospel to talking about money, and he does it probably because the tax collectors specifically are there. Hey, all you rip-off artists. All that gospel stuff is great, but you gotta understand, you've gotta make right with your money. So he tells this parable. Everybody ready? It goes like this. There was a rich man who had a manager, an employee, probably a salesperson, who went out and handled accounts for him. And charges were brought to this rich man that this other man, the manager, was wasting his possessions. That word wasting there is a word that was also used in the telling of the parable of the lost son. 
When the prodigal son went out and wasted all that his father had given him, it was a profound waste. It was like egregious. That's the kind of waste that this manager was doing uh, with the resources that his uh, boss had entrusted with him. He was crooked, crooked. So the boss, the rich man, calls to him, verse 2, and he says to him, what is, that, uh, that, what is this that I hear about you? Um, are you really ripping me off, seriously? Turn in the account of your management, that is, turn over your keys, all your passcodes, uh, your laptop, everything's mine now, because uh, you can no longer be my manager. You're fired. <laughs> it's a reality show. Anyway, uh, and the manager says to himself, after being fired, verse three, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I've lost my job. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've asked this question in the wake of you being recently unemployed. Here's what he comes up with. He says, well, I can't go and do manual labor. I'm, uh, manual labor. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm certainly too proud uh, to go out there and beg I'm not gonna fly a sign on 60 somewhere and hope that people stop. So here's what I've decided to do, Jesus goes on to say. Uh, this manager who's being fired says, uh, I'm gonna do this so that when I am removed from management, when the last day of my work is over, people may receive me into their houses. I might win some favor with those that I've been doing business with. So, verse five, uh, summoning his master's debtors one by one, those that were in his accounts, uh, he says to the first one that he talks to, how much do you owe my master? Now, we've got to understand a little bit about economics back in those days. Uh, a master would, would pop for the seed for you to be able to plant your crops, and then as a, a way for you to pay him back, you would give him a portion of those crops. Maybe no money exchanged hands, uh, but that's how they would do it. It was barter, more than it was coin or dollars or numbers like that. And so in this one account, the master had made it possible for this guy to apparently plant olive trees and gain a, a harvest of olive oil. And so the, the guy, the olive oil farmer says, well, I owe him 100 measures of oil. Uh, based on what we understand about measures back then, it was about 800 gallons of oil. Uh, a, a tidy sum, it would be worth about uh, three years of, a, of an average man's wage. So uh, here's what the guy says to him. Take your bill, sit down quickly, and instead of owing 100 barrel or 100 measures, uh, write down 50. And that's what you really will pay my master. Stay with me, because the crooked guy seems crooked here, but we'll get to the resolve. So then he goes to another guy, and he says, how much do you owe? And this guy was a wheat farmer, and he says, I owe 100 measures of wheat. There was about 100 a, a acres um, of, of wheat produce, right? And that, that equaled about uh, nine years of someone's salary. That was a lot. This was a big deal. And so he says to this guy, take your bill and write 80. And some of you are like, well, wait a minute. He cut the other guy's bill in half. How come he only wrote this one for 80? Uh, maybe there was a difference in the values of olive oil and wheat, lots of speculation. But for whatever the case is, he basically shrinks both bills. If you're the guy who has, you know, basically been brought into this business deal and you owe 800 gallons of olive oil and now you only have to pay 400, who's, who's feeling good about that? Who loves this manager? That guy, right? Are you serious? You cut my bill in half? I am your friend for life. Same thing with the wheat farmer. Seriously? You're gonna let me keep the proceeds of uh, of my hard work? <laughs> I got the tingles just then, all right. These two uh, debtors, 
clients of this rich man uh, that this dishonest manager has been handling the accounts of. They love this guy. And so verse 8 tells us this, the master, the rich guy who was firing the, the ripoff artist, he does what? He commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Put a pin in it right there. Who's like, what? Because if, if you're reading this without kind of knowing the behind-the-scenes story, you're reading that the, the manager, who's already mad at this guy for ripping him off, is now somehow uh, proud of or honoring him for seemingly ripping him off some more. Hey, thanks for cutting my uh, profits in half and uh, by 20%. Thank you so much as you walk out the door the last time. Okay, you got to understand a little, a little bit about... Uh, um, how commerce worked back then. Same thing that I just told you about the tax collectors. The tax collectors could basically add whatever they wanted to the deal for their own benefit. Managers would do that back then for themselves. So grateful that that doesn't happen in business anymore, that there's nobody out there, you know, making money on the side from their bosses in their deals. I'm sure everything is on the up and up in our country. Is everybody clear with me on that? Yeah. Back in those days, in a culture where you weren't allowed to charge interest, Israelites couldn't charge interest from each other, um, people had to figure out different ways to make their money, so they would kind of fudge the numbers. Instead of saying, well, my bastard really only wants 400 gallons of olive oil from you as payment for the seed that he gave you for your trees, uh, he would just write the bill out for 800, and he'd keep the 400 for himself. As long as the master got what he required, I could have what I want. Apparently, he did the same thing with the weed farmer. The master only needed 80 measures of wheat, but... I'm going to tack on 20 for myself. And so most scholars believe that this dishonest manager only all of a sudden had this like uh, stroke of honesty. And he did it at the very best time. He didn't rip off his master any further and he made things right with the ones that he was ripping off. And in doing so, he made for himself friends. He was shrewd. So Jesus stops the parables. Everybody get the parable? He stops the parable and he turns to his crowd and he says this, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light are in the world today. Sons of the world, who are those people? People who aren't following God, people who aren't following Jesus. They're pagans, they're, 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 they don't care about God. They don't, might not even believe in God. Uh, but Jesus says, listen, those of us who do believe in God, those of you who are following me, his son, those of us who are heading in the right directions, there are things that we can learn from people like this dishonest manager in the world that we live in. So that's what we're going to spend our time that we have left talking about. What did he learn? And we're going to answer this question. What does it look like for this parable to be faithful with my money? Three things. First one is this. We, we need to view money from an eternal or a future perspective. Right away, Jesus uh, explains what he means by telling the parable. He says this to his crowd. He says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fall, fails, excuse me, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He says, hey, y'all, just like that dishonest manager leveraged his, his worldly wealth and made friends for himself that he could depend on when he was jobless. You need to take your resources and you need to make friends for yourselves with the resources that you're stewarding here in this life so that when uh, this life fails and when those riches fail, you may be received 
by these friends into your eternal dwellings. Well, he's obviously talking about heaven. And his, his basic parlay here is, hey, take the money you have now and use it, steward it, so that when you get to heaven, friends are waiting for you there. Some early scholars thought that this word friends uh, uh, referred to God, the plural God, the, the three-in-one God. It says in Genesis, let us, God referring to himself as plural, let us make man in our own image. And so the Jews understood, even though that God was one, there was this, still this, this us-ness about him. And so they, maybe Jesus is saying, hey, listen, do whatever you do with your money in such a way that when God greets you in heaven, he greets you and he's your friend. Maybe uh, it's referring, others think, uh, to, to actual people. People that when, when you gave at the church or when you gave to a missionary, they came to know Christ, they grew up in Christ, they actually became leaders for Christ and they went off and they shared gospel, the gospel with other people and those people came to Christ. Well, here's what's gonna happen, like we saw maybe in the Bema, is that all of the things that we did kind of have this trickle down, this, this wide sweeping uh, ripple effect to where when we get to heaven, those who are impacted, not just by our words and our deeds, but by our gifts and the, res- the, the, the stewardship of our money, they will greet us at the door and say, thank you. It's because of you and your wise stewardship of what God gave you to spend in life that I sit here today. So maybe it's your compassion kid or your world vision kid. It's that person that you, um, you know, saw on the side of the street and stopped to help them with their tire and paid for their tow. Maybe they come to Christ and they're the ones that see your gift as a reason for them being there in heaven. Whatever the case is, we need to understand that how we use our money today matters in eternity. And we need to be wise and careful with it, faithful with it, shrewd as the dishonest manager was in such a way that we make friends for ourselves in our future. Remember the parable that Jesus told? This one's in Matthew chapter 25. It's about these guys who were given talents. Talents was actually a weight. It was a, a measurement of gold. Um, if, if we were going by talents back then, it was like in the millions of dollars that this uh, manager, this, this rich man, gave to his, his uh, servants to uh, invest for him while he went away. He gave five to one, two to another, and one to another. It's a great reminder that not everybody gets the same amounts, right? But what happened in the story is that the, the guy was given five, went out and invested it, and he got five more. The guy who was given two, went out and invested it. He got two more. The guy who was given one, anybody remember what he did? He dug a hole. He put it in his backyard, and then the master comes back, and it was time for his return. Now, this picture of the return of our Savior. And he stands before his servants, and he says, what'd you do? And the guy with five says, I made five. And he says, go on, well done. The guy with two said, I made two, well done, go on. The guy with one says, I know you're a fearful man. And so I didn't want to mess it up. So I just took what you gave me and I buried it. Anybody remember what happened to that guy? <laughs> if you don't, it didn't go well for him. If you've ever heard the phrase, he, uh, being cast out into the weeping and gnashing of teeth into the darkness of the outside, that's what happened with this servant who was given much and did nothing with it. Now that parable has been preached a lot and used in lots of different illustrations like this one. But I want to remind you that it starts with a story about money. The talents were a measurement of gold. 
And certainly, Jesus is referring to all of our lives. We need to invest our lives for the kingdom. We need to invest our lives and honor God with all that he's given us. But he starts the story with cash. Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than just about anything else he talked about? It seems like it was really important to him that we figured out our purses and our wallets. We need to view our money with an eternal eternal perspective. We also need to understand that money is a test that God gives us. It's not just this blessing that you and I have. It is, but it's this test that he gives us to see where we stand with him. He says in verse 10, as he continues to explain the parable, Jesus says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. He's gonna talk about character and what, what character does when it comes to money. Uh, if you're a cheat, uh, if you are given over to your sin nature, when it comes to money, you're just gonna hoard it, keep it, steal it. You're gonna be dishonest with it. And God's gonna look at that and he's gonna say, hey, listen, he, he's not given his heart over to me. He's not submitted to me in this area with his cash. And so I can't trust him with more cash. He's gonna have to be, you know, be settled with that. But if you're faithful and honoring to God with very little, then he looks at that and he says, okay, I can trust that guy with more. The condition of our heart is the key. It's what matters. When I was a little kid, I was um, brought into a walkathon. I can't even remember who the walkathon benefited, but I was told to go to my church and basically um, you know, get uh, uh, supporters. They would support me five cents a mile, 10 cents a mile, a quarter a mile, and I'd go out and I'd walk uh, you know, those 10 miles and then go back and collect those things. Well, the short of the story is, is I collected all the money and it amounted to like 20, 25 bucks, which for me at nine years old in 19, whatever it was, was like, it could have been a million. It was just the most money I've ever seen in my life, right? It was in quarters and dimes and nickels and, and dollars stuffed into this envelope. But I remember as a nine-year-old just being like, that's, I don't know if I want to turn that in. So the day came when I was supposed to turn it in for the walkathon, and all the other kids brought their envelopes, and I was like, oh, I must have left it in the car. But I'd really just stuck it under my bed. And I just started dipping into the, I'm not going to take it all. I'm just going to take a little. Just Cheetos and a Coke after school. That's all I need. But pretty soon I'd spent almost all of it. One day my mom was cleaning my room and she found the envelope. Written on the front was the exact total that should have been in it. I wasn't a very good cheat. And she opened to find out that this envelope that should have been turned in a month ago was not turned in and a lot of the money was gone. And we had a conversation. And I paid back every penny. Paper routes, remember those? And I learned some valuable lessons about how I should steward money. That I should not steal from God. Certainly learned that one. But that money has a certain place. God has a certain design for how it's supposed to work. And if I could be faithful with the $25 that I was supposed to collect for this walkathon, uh, perhaps I could be faithful with more. When Eleanor and I got married, uh, I was beginning to learn the value of a dollar, but Eleanor came up from, from a family that, thank God, was very familiar. Uh, with healthy financial patterns. And so she instilled many of those in me. And uh, by God's grace, not perfectly, uh, but for the uh, 27 years that we've been married, uh, we've been able to avoid many of the pitfalls that come with mishandling what God gives us to steward. We did it because we decided to live in a certain way. Uh, And we'll talk more about this next week, but 
But this is basically a very terse and short summation of how God wants us to live, but this is how he wants us to live. When he gives us money to steward, he wants us to, to be generous, to give, to save, and to live. Okay? Certainly, everybody is entitled to having their toys and their fun, but this is the order of how things should go. Give first, where possible, save, and then go on and live the rest of your life with whatever's left. Now, that's not how people do it. Most of the people in the world, and unfortunately, even a lot of people in the church, this is how they go, come to their money, live. Spend every dollar as soon as I get it. In fact, if I don't have enough, I'm gonna borrow what I want so that I can have what I want. And I will get in hawk uh, up to my eyeballs and have, uh, just, just you know, feel the pressure of that debt. Uh, but all that really matters to me is how I live, the level to which I live. And that's all I really care about. Now some people figure out, no, it's not just living, it's saving, but uh, they don't give a penny. And then some people figure out, well, okay, I should live, and then if I can find anything after I've lived and done what I've won, I'll save whatever I can find there. And if I've found you know, a few things beyond that that I can now afford to give at church or, or anywhere, I'll, I'll give and be generous with what's left. But again, I say to you that all the components are there, but they're in the wrong order. We'll talk more about this next week, but when it comes to life, this is how God wants us to live it. We're generous and ready and able to be so. We're wise about our future and we seek to save so that if he needs us to be generous, we can afford to. If he needs us to go through a hard time, we have something to cushion the blow. If we need to give and save and then live. And live within, this is so huge, live within the means that God has given you. Be content, grateful for what you have and stay within it. Jesus goes on and he says this in verse 11. He says, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Now he's, he's kind of shifting gears. He's, he's not just talking about you know, general faithfulness and general dishonesty when it comes to unrighteous wealth or money, the things that he's given us to steward. He's saying, listen, this, this matters in, in greater things, in kingdom things, because if you have been shown to be unfaithful with your money, how can you be entrusted with the true riches of the kingdom? Anybody seen those uh, guys on TV, the pastors who have been found out to be hoarding money or misspending their church's wealth. Uh, they've, they've preached this prosperity gospel and it's come back to bite them because they haven't paid their taxes in eight years or something like that. And now they're going to jail. Anybody remember the, I'm not gonna name them by name, but everybody remember one, okay? And how their ministry is completely inauthenticated, completely ruined because they couldn't handle their wallets. They couldn't handle the money. You'll be glad to know I don't touch any of the money. In fact, if you come up to me to give me some money for the offering, I'm going to point to you a, a, a box back there and tell you, because it feels like uh, kryptonite to me, right? Not that I'm Superman, but I, I just don't want to even be close to it because I am terrified of anything that I, I don't know what any of our accounts names are or who's got them. And some of you are like, well, you're not a good manager. Fine. Think that of me. I just don't want to be able to touch any of our money because I know the power that money has in ruining a ministry. And some of you are like, yeah, Mark, you better be careful. You're that professional Christian, and you professional Christians need to be careful. Hey, Christians, you need to be careful. Because if you aren't wise with your money, our Heavenly Father looks down on you and says, well, I can't trust you with other things in the kingdom that I want to accomplish through you because you can't handle this bit. 
Your faithfulness travels. Your dishonesty travels. Someone here was considering placing their child in a daycare and walked up to that daycare. And the director of the daycare, who also keeps her kids there, uh, and this has nothing to do with Lampkins. It's a killer daycare over. It's really good. Use that one if you can. But if you came up to a daycare where the director of the daycare is walking up and jerking the arm of their child and yelling all of these, you know, discouraging remarks, and you'll never amount to anything, and then just pushes the kid into his classroom and then comes to the front and says, how can I help you? (laughs) Anybody leaving your kid there? You would lose your parent of the year mug right away, right? (laughs) Because she's kind of shown that side of her. If you go to a gym... And a huge fat guy carrying, you know, a, a 64-ounce Mountain Dew and a, and a, and a you know, family-sized Doritos bag walks up to you wearing his gym outfit and his belly's kind of tucked out underneath it and stuff like that. And he says, hi, I'm the manager. Can I help you? Do you want to sign up today? Are you going to that gym? I might be going to that gym. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> that might be a gym where I could work out. I'd be like, yeah, bro, where you been, bro? I'm usually met by a flat belly who wants me to work out. Anyway, (laughs) we just wouldn't do it. And God looks at your life and my life, and he looks at our dealings with our money, and he says, I don't know if I can trust you with more. There's so much that I'd love to do through you and in you, but I don't know. If you can't handle worldly wealth, how can you handle my riches? See, Jesus wants us to emulate the character of God. He he wants us to live in integrity, and he wants us to live in generosity. Integrity is this word that we throw around when we talk about building buildings. It's an engineering word, right? Like, I don't know if you have a chance uh, or have had a chance to go back. We've got a roof next door uh, right there on our building. Uh, We put some uh, steel up and roof up. Yeah, yay! (laughs) It's been an exciting week to work in... Uh, every day to, to catch up to the deadlines that, that they need to catch up. It's really great, but it's fun. isn't it fun to watch something go up? Now, all in favor of something not going up too fast, though? Okay, can we, thank you, sir. Can we, can we make sure that everything is, is right and plumb and, and, and that you know, all, the, all the pieces that we're using have integrity so that when we start using this building for the Women's Resource Center and our counseling center, we do our ministry, we don't have to worry about the roof caving in on those that we're serving. All in favor of that? Aye. Those opposed? Good. I was hoping no one would. Yeah, we want integrity. We want the assurance that things are going to be where they're going to be and work the way they're supposed to work. And that's the way that God wants us to live when it comes to our money. He wants us to pay what we owe. He wants us to work hard, to be right, to return what is not ours. If everybody goes to lunch today and you get too much change back, that is not God blessing you. That is God testing you. Did everybody hear me? If you get a windfall, don't praise the Lord. Ask the Lord, what am I supposed to do with this? The answer is, if it's not yours, give it back. But your money is a test. It's a test of your integrity. Your money is a test. It's a test of your generosity. We'll talk more about this next week. But we should handle our money so well so that when we uh, have the opportunity to be a gracious and generous, like our God is gracious and generous. Our God is our template for integrity. Our God is our template for generosity. We should handle our money in such a way that we can give. And we'll talk more about that next week. 
Finally, as we close, Jesus tells us to choose God over money always. And it's a very familiar verse, but here's what he says. He says, no servant can serve, how many? Two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees who had been hanging out that whole time that he told the three parables about the lost sheep and the lost son and the lost coin and, and this parable about the dishonest manager, uh, they, they had heard enough because they were lovers of money. They could handle the lost coin and sheep and son, whatever. But when he started talking about their money, they were like, you're an idiot, carpenter. You don't know what you're talking about. They ridiculed him. And Jesus turned to these Pharisees, these uh, muckety-mucks, upper-crust Jews, and he said to them, hey, you are those who justify yourselves before men. Yeah, you've won the popularity contest so far here in Jerusalem. Good on you. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among man, just so you know, is an abomination in the sight of your God. Everybody look at me. You might have all the shine and the sheen that the world esteems. You might have the toys and the appearance of that perfect life. You might even be sitting in our church and you're putting off that great vibe. Um, but where I don't know what's going on with your cash, and no one else in here knows what's going on with your cash, just so we're clear, God does. He knows what's up. He sees it all. And the things that you're giving your life to, if you are a, a worshiper of money and the stuff of this world, he sees it. And just so you're clear, he doesn't like it. It's an abomination, an offense to a holy God to be placed somewhere below number one in your life, behind your cash, behind your things, behind your pursuits, behind your, your prestige and your power. He doesn't want to exist there. He deserves to be our chief priority when it comes to all that he's given us. I was driving to church this morning and I listened to a preacher on the radio usually as I'm heading in here. and um, He closed with this story. It's a Jewish parable. Uh, the Jews were taught that God is light. We've heard that as well, right? And that blessings or riches are a shadow. And they've been told that you face the light and you chase the light. You pursue the one true God. And if you do so, the shadow will follow you in your pursuit of the light. Sounds a lot like what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things that you're so worried about and so consumed with, they'll, they'll be added unto you. Just seek him first. But the parable goes on and it says, if you pursue the shadow... You're Peter Pan in it. Anybody remember that story? Peter could never grab his shadow because it's always out in front of you and you're always trying to get it and it's always moving away from you. That's what the pursuit of money is, the worship of money is. You'll never have enough. You'll always want more. And in the meantime, you'll be forgetting the light and moving further from him. So now may you and I be faithful with what God has given us. May we view our money with an eternal perspective. May we see it as the test that it is that God has given us. And may we pass the test with integrity and generosity as our answers. 
May we put God ahead of everything else that our money can buy. And over all and in all, may you and I remember to be grateful. Are you grateful? Are you grateful? Are you grateful? Then let's stand and sing as we close. our song. I pray it is our heart. I pray we live in gratitude to you for all that you've given us. And as we um, come to our, our little or our much uh, in seasons where we could use more or seasons where we've been blessed beyond, I pray that in all of our dealings with all that you have entrusted us, we would honor you. We'd be faithful with what you've given us, that we would have an eternal perspective when it comes to our money that we would seek to use it to glorify you, that we would keep from, from worshiping it, hoarding it, and making it our end. Uh, help us, God, to see you and you alone on the throne of our lives, to worship you with full hearts, to take your direction and your lead uh, as you guide us in how to steward what you've given us. I thank you for our church, that it's a giving church, a generous church. We're popping buildings up and planting churches in our area. We've, we've seen so many um, learn the lessons of how it is that we should be faithful with our, our, our possessions. Lord, I pray that all of us would go deeper, that many of us who haven't started with that would start, that we'd honor you, glorify you, because you are worthy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And I said amen.